Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary in the ordinary, from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are. Hey, it's Elise and Nate from Unspookable. For the next two months, Unspookable is conducting a listener survey to help us get to know you, your interests, and what you think of the show. Please support the podcast by taking our short questionnaire at www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash unspookable. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback will help us improve the show and help us find new sponsors and partners who interest you and your family. Plus, as our way of saying thank you, you will be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Again, that's www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash unspookable, or click on the link in our show notes. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Soundington Media! Today is another special episode of the show, as we look at women rulers of ancient Egypt, what vampires can tell us about the immigrant experience, and more with the author of the new book, Snot Goblins and Other Tasteless Tales, Rob Kuttner, on this episode of Unspookable. I'm Elise Parisian, here with Unspookable producer Nate Dufort. And we're excited to welcome the author of the new middle grade book, Snot Goblins and Other Tasteless Tales, Rob Kuttner, to the show. Welcome, Rob. Great to be here. We're just going to kick it off with some questions about your book. Is that cool with you? That's great. So that's one heck of a title. Can you tell us a bit about the book and how it came about? Yes. Uh, it's one of those things where you hope the title kind of informs you fully of the contents or what, you're, what to expect anyway. Um, I have partnered up with a, a great illustrator. We met at work at Mad Magazine named David DeGrand. And he cartoons for The Simpsons and SpongeBob comic books as well. He loves horror. And uh, he was approached by people in the book world who said, do you want to do like a kid's anthology of stories? And he said, I want to do a horror one. And he came to me and he just had the idea fully formed in his mind of snot albums. Maybe he had the picture in his mind too, I'm guessing. And that just set the tone immediately. It's a book of... Um, Five short stories, all kind of uh, horror tropes. Uh, so uh, not only goblins, but ghosts and mummies and vampires and uh, trolls uh, with the comedic twist sort of in the Captain Underpants vein and a heavy dose of gross out humor also in the Captain Underpants vein. It's a, it's a, it's a kid's tiramisu if you like tiramisu. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so the stories are, and I mean this as a compliment, disgustingly hilarious. Thank you. One that sticks out is the step mummy very loosely based on the real Pharoness Hatshepsut of ancient Egypt. That's right. Why did this topic in particular interest you? Well, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Use, using what I just told you, sometimes the, the title kind of drove the content. So um, when we were thinking of, of how to hit old tropes, like somehow the idea of the step mummy just occurred to, as the snack album picture occurred to David, the pun occurred to my comedy writer's grade of step mummy. <laughs> so I immediately thought of a sort of blended family idea. So, you know, you know, what I found throughout this book is that I, you can make things up 
to a certain point. And sometimes real life history is way more wacky and interesting than what you can help. But so I was thinking, uh, this father, uh, is remarrying and he marries an ancient Pharaohness and, uh, who would that be? And I could just sort of make up some Egyptology or something, but I was just kind of, I was just sort of researching around and I thought, you know, Cleopatra has been fairly well covered already, I think by everyone. Um, so I was looking around and I look up famous Pharaohnesses and this name popped up and her story was so interesting. It's a bit of a spoiler, but I think it's okay because it's interesting. I think, uh, she was a highly accomplished Pharaohness. She kind of, she sort of married into it. She was married to a, a pharaoh named Thutmose the second and who was her half brother and they married at age 15. So there's already a lot of, uh, uh, YA teen drama going on there. And, um, he, he died early and left behind a stepson, I guess from a previous relationship, who was two, named Thutmose III. And she was kind of the queen regent as he was the next pharaoh, a two-year-old. And she was sort of kind of like um, Cersei and Joffrey at um, Game of Thrones, if that reference doesn't go over your listeners' heads. So she was sitting by the side of this child pharaoh. And, um, and then, when, then when she took over, sort of fairness, she was highly accomplished. She was, she was one of the most prolific builders in ancient Egypt. She built tons of stuff. She built trade routes as well. And it was a time of great prosperity. But then uh, when she died, the male pharaohs took over again and decided to sort of vanquish her record because they, you know, for various reasons, but probably because no chick pharaohs. And so she was sort of covered up. And I, thought, I found that so interesting that I ended up pivoting the story in that direction. And it sort of provides the motivation for at least the sort of way that uh, it seems like the pharaohness is acting as if she's trying to reclaim her legacy. So again, history sort of was my ally in creativity here. You use satire to kind of bring out that history, that thing of like, you're kind of coming in the back door in framing, you know, her historical context for the listeners. And I just feel like comedy was an amazing way to relay her importance um, without kind of bashing us over the head that that's exactly what you were doing. Well, it's a paperback, so it's really not good for bashing. Say, <laughs> but um, no, I, I agree with that, and I think that's because that's the way I came up. I remember, I remember myself like learning a lot about the world from Mad Magazine, and when I was older, I would sort of learn the news from SNL Weekend Update, and I feel like comedy is exactly like a great backdoor for, 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 for sort of imparting information. I'm not going to say educating, were, <laughs> but uh, providing information without uh, sounding like you're educational, and I think getting kids curious. Like, I want kids to like say, "Oh, that's an interesting story," you know. You know, yeah. I think maybe maybe a lot of girls readers, for example, say, oh, that's interesting. A woman pharaoh who got sort of like out. Is that true? And, you know, going on Google and learning more themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all about that. Absolutely. So another story that I'd love to hear more about is the Bleeding Heart Vampire story, where we've got a young vampire immigrating from Romania to America in the mid 1700s. It's a classic story about the opportunities and perils that immigrants face. Why did you want to tell this story? Yeah, this one was interesting, too, because um, this isn't even further removed from Dave's original line. Dave had originally wanted to call it the Wampire, W-H-A-M-P-I-R-E. So he had both the pun and image in his mind where it was a vampire who didn't like biting people. So he just hit them over the head with a mallet and then licked the mallet clean. <laughs> and we both thought that was hilarious. And then when I started playing around with it, I was sort of thought, I'm not sure how much of a story there is there. But what I really liked was the idea of a, a vampire or someone from a traditional culture who wants to make a really sharp break with their traditional culture and, uh, you know, what kind of story is, is, is in that cr- crevasse. And it just started ma- making me think about the, the narrative of the old world and the new world of all the people who came from different cultures to the United States and saw it as a place to reinvent themselves, um, sometimes at great price and at great alienation from their previous culture. 
and that that was also partially my family story um because uh the vampire is from a town called yas romania and that's where my family is from as well so to that our purpose and then uh so i, I sort of use that as a launching off point um my family was Jewish, and there's a little nod to that. And the vampire comes to the Lower East Side, as so many Jewish immigrants did at the early 20th century, turn of the century. Um, but I didn't want to make it completely that story. What I really wanted to do was sort of, I think, maybe kind of reinvigorate that narrative, um, but also reframe it a little bit because I feel like we had this sort of, for lack of a better word, tech bro moment where people who invent new cool things are sort of out for themselves. And what I wanted to do was the story is have someone who was seeking out new ideas and new inventions. He, he hooks up with Thomas Edison, um, but it's for the sake of doing kindness and helping people. I also have Jewish Romanian ancestors. Maybe maybe they're brethren in the vampirehood. Maybe they were lawnsmen, yeah. <laughs> as they say. Uh, do you have any new facts or stories from your research or the book that we haven't already touched on that you'd love to share with the audience? I will say those are probably as deep as the the history portions go. Uh, the rest of them had, you know, various had interests of mine. Uh, I'll say that, you know, the first story was sort of loosely based on my, the first one's about a, a boy struggling with authority in school. And, and this has been kind of the story of my family, my son, who is very anti-authoritarian, they're very smart, and we ended up homeschooling for years. Um, those dot goblins were involved. Uh, <laughs> And then, you know, uh, I think the others were just sort of more kind of just fun riffs. Uh, I, in a way, I'll say the, um, the ghost hunter story, like the YouTube ghost hunters, probably inspired by my daughter's interest. My teenage daughter's interested in YouTube people as well, and that whole culture and kind of flipping in on its head as well. In addition to your writing for animation and books for young adults and middle graders, you have an extensive background in comedy writing. And have, having previously been staffed on The Daily Show and Conan, how do you think your comedy roots help you connect with younger audiences? You know, I guess at base level, being immersed in comedy means you don't take yourself too seriously, just as a as a way of being in the world. And uh, that's certainly like the, the approach I bought. Sort of, they call it playful parenting. You know, with my own kids. And I think the fact that you know a big adult will sort of lower themselves down to any level, and clearly I will, I lowered my material to very low levels here, <laughs> um, strategically to reach kids where they are. I, I think that sort of like gave me the ethos of just like you know. Knock, knock yourself off the pedestal first, and then you bring yourself down to kid level. More after this. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. What's the overlap in the language of comedy and horror? And how did you take that into consideration uh, when writing the book? Um, that's a good question. I think, well, I'll say is from the adult perspective, especially from writing topical late night material, I think the thing to do is, you know, political cartoonists will take 
someone from the news and make a caricature, like a cartoon, a larger than life kind of grotesque version of them. And so that's the sort of comedy move, I think. And I think likewise with kids, uh, monsters are sort of a, a proxy for, I think, a lot of kids' fears and anxiety of issues with the world. And so I was just sort of moving over the kind of caricature skill, we'll say, into like a vocabulary that kids relate to. So, you know, ghosts are about kids' fear of the unknown, we'll say, or even the stop mummy story, like the mummy is, is the whole thing is that she's sort of scary and her stepson is scary because the idea of having a new mom and new family is scary for kids and blended families. So it's just, you know, it's just proxies the way I think kids see them. I would say the larger than life features uh, of horror are a great way for kids to sort of manifest their sort of issues with the world. You know, with Unspookable, we're trying to pull eyes away from screens, which is a challenge these days. And we think that your book is a great way to do that as well. It's something easy to pick up. You can grab one story and read it at a time. You don't need to plow through the entire book. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And how is that incorporated into, uh, you know, creating it? Um, well, thank you. And, um, you know, as an adult, sometimes I just like to disappear into comic books or a graphic novel because it is sort of like halfway between a book and sort of the screen to the world. It satisfies your eyeballs. And um, th- I wouldn't say this is my goal, but I, I feel like uh, people, cause, because people have been telling me this, that this is a, a, a kind of book that's for, for kids who don't, quote unquote, don't like to read so much or sort of more pulled away by other temptations and stuff. So it's, it's hugely, it's hard to see this on a podcast. It's very visual. It's extremely colorful. The monsters are fantastic. And David's style is so ridiculously oozy and sticky and, and amazing that it will be just a, a book that feels like, you know, it's just a fun thing to disappear into. And, and I found this at signing kids just disappear into it. So it's really sort of a, a non-book book, but I think also with a lot of like like secret things that are there, little treasures for kids and adults to find if they want to. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Rob. Snot Goblins and Other Tasteless Tales, written by Rob Kuttner and illustrated by David DeGrand, is out now from first second and available wherever you get your books. About the book, R.L. Stein, author of Goosebumps and Fear Street, says, You'll drown in snot. Yes, the book is gross and outrageous and funny. I laughed out loud. You will too. Lincoln Pierce, author of Big Nate, says, Over the top in the best possible way. Snot Goblins is a great read. And Jim Paylot, illustrator of My Weird School, says, It's killer. The 10-year-old in me went bonkers. That's it for this episode of Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. Joined this week by Unspookable producer, Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Hold up. 
Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.